Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Platinum Pussy Radio. 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 You're listening to Platinum Pussy Radio. No need to wait to lose weight, baby girl, you pretty right now Beauty is not synonymous within Beauty is what you do and who you are, it comes from within No need to be sensitive about your size Plenty of men love women with thick hips and thighs A big old butt and a plump chest Yes, cleavage for days, we have a weakness for big breasts Don't reach for perfection cause it can't be touched So-called perfect women get help from an airbrush Pictures touched up, these women ain't real When I hold you in my arms, I want something I can feel Someone passionate, funny, and articulate To hell with Israel, I want the ones that are thick So hit the floor, do your thing, check a little bit Show them you a fine BBW, a thick chick If you a thick chick, check it just a little bit If you a thick chick, shake that shit If you a thick chick, check it just a little bit If you a thick chick, shake that shit If you a thick chick, check it just a little bit If you a thick chick, shake that shit If you a thick chick, shake it just a little bit if you were thick, chick, shake that shit. It ain't hard to figure if you're bigger in the club. Skinny people tripping, talking, lipping, showing no love. It's like being the last pick for kickball. You get your feelings hurt, but not here, y'all. Uh, walk in the door, it's like bam, instant acceptance. Juicy girl, a big man. See the people here all realize that being fine's a state of mind, not related to your size. Yeah, it's my comfort zone. Feels like I'm coming home, and since the club is packed, then I guess that I'm not alone. Read the drama to Shakespeare, my dear, and here. We have fun, let your troubles disappear Let's be clear on that, leave your beef at the door Come on in and get your drink on, then drink some more All the girls in here are fat, but that's P-H-A-T, pimpin' pretty hot and tempting If you would think chick, shake it just a little bit If you would think chick, shake that shit If you would think chick, shake it just a little bit If you would think chick, shake that shit If you would think chick, shake it just a little bit if you would think chick shake that shit If you would think chick shake it just a little bit If you would think chick shake that shit She ain't just made the sit time to get it on the floor Shake it like you want something that's what else is made for This be the spot, keep it hot like the temper of the best MC Born on the 2nd of September who else would I bring teeth to the beat? Like a fire breather, sweet and a candy stuck in your teeth. BBWs and brothers who love them need to dance to this. Thick fingers break out cause you can't handle this. Excuse me miss, could you do that again? Yeah, I saw the first time, but I wanna show my friend you made my mouth drop when you pop that. Shit, girl, you know you need to stop that. Got many a man planning and plotting to get a little closer to what you drop it on. Second thought, don't stop, keep it moving till it hurts. Put that backside to work. If you a thick chick, shake it just a little bit. If you a thick chick, shake that shit. If you a thick chick, shake it just a little bit. If you a thick chick, shake that shit. If you a thick chick, shake it just a little bit. If you a thick chick, shake that shit. If you a thick chick, shake it just a little bit. If you a thick chick, shake that shit. Yeah, this one goes out to all the BBWs all over the world, especially the ones in Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia. Holler back at your boy.
Saturday, February the 24th, 2018, and you're listening to Platinum Pussy Radio. We are waiting for our special guest host to call in, and I'm going to let her say her name, even though um, she put in her letter, in her um, email, it's Air Record, but I don't know if I'm saying that right, so I'm going to let her announce herself. Um, We have a really interesting show tonight. A lot of amazing topics, a lot of great things to talk about that happened this week, so I'm so excited to be on tonight, and you can check us out every Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on a variety of networks. We've got Demon Seed Radio, GTFO Radio, Triple X, Adult Film Star Network, and, of course, PlatinumPussyRadio.com. So I am so glad that you guys are listening. If you want to text us, you can do so at 702-623-3959. I don't know who I'm calling, but let's answer the line and see who this is. Hi, you're live on Platinum Pussy Radio. I'm sorry, this is who? This is Lady Anarchist. I don't know why it's not going through to the line. I'm so disappointed right now. I've got everything that's supposed to forward. Let me give you a backup line and see if we can get it connecting through the system. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text you right okay. now. All right. That's our guest host. I'm so irritated. Like, I have everything set up, and everything was going so smoothly. So I knew there had to be something, just one little thing. So we're going to give her a different number to call in so you guys can hear her loud and clear. And um, anyhow, yeah, I'm super excited to have her on. And while we're waiting for her to call back, let's give a little bit of intro bio information um, that she supplied to me in our email address, I mean our email correspondence, because when someone comes onto the radio show, I like um, I like to get as much information as possible, aside from just photos, which I do like to look at. I'm not even going to lie. But I want to know about the person who's guest hosting or the um, my just regular guest, whoever I'm interviewing, aside from the fact that, you know, they're just going to be a guest. Like, who are you? So um, she has an interesting profile. Like, she has been training large animals and throwing around whips her entire life. And um, she's been raised on a ranch, so she's been indulging in the world of kink for a long time, and naturally that turned into um, the dominatrix side, the femdom and BDSM side of the adult industry. So it looks like she's in. We're going to bring her in. Oh, she, we lost her. Fuck. What the flacka. But, um, yeah, she has, she's a very interesting person. I'm looking at some of her pictures, and I did a little bit of research and looked at her social media and was quite intrigued, to say the least. Like, I'm, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to panic. <laughs> oh, I need my own radio, my own, like, radio show staff, someone who makes sure that the phone calls come through, someone who makes sure all the technical stuff works. And I can't go live on, like, YouTube, Periscope, Instagram, Facebook, or any of that 
because I'm naked. I do my show naked, people. <laughs> I do not wear clothes. So is um <laughs> you're you're not compliant with their live streaming rules if you are not wearing clothes. So unfortunately, I won't be going live anytime soon because I like doing my show naked. I think that's kind of like one of the um the great things about radio is that you don't have to. And then, like, being on cams, like, you get all dolled up and you get all pretty for the customers. But, like, on radio, you can just be whatever. No one can see you, but they can hear you loud and clear. They get to hear the message. And you save the visual for cams. So here we got We got her live. Miss Lady Araga. Say it. I'm not even saying it right. Air record. How do you say it? It's. It's Celtic. It's Ereket. It's um, actually early Gaelic, but that's the most common modern pronunciation. Well, welcome to the show. We finally got you on. <laughs> yes, I apologize to all listening. We had some interesting technical difficulties between her side and then my phone decided that it just did not want to call in. I don't know. Like, I... I say this at the beginning of every show. There's always one sort of technical difficulty, like I can't get the mic to connect or something. Like this is this is a job for multiple people, but I'm doing it solo. So I'm glad I got you, though. Welcome to the show. Um, I was just explaining to our listeners that um, you have a very interesting history, and I was reading a little bit about your bio, about how you train large animals, which is interesting because my mother – I grew up in a household of a love for big cats. My mom is a huge, oh. huge um, admirer, and she supports the um, Exotic Cats Foundation. And when I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, they have a rescue park out there that um, rescues, like let's say you're a, a family who gets a tiger as a pet, as a home pet, or a, a zoo that has an animal that you don't, you know, want in your zoo anymore or that you are not taking care of properly. So they, they remove the tiger and it goes to this park and this park caters to these displaced um, large cats and not even just large cats. They have like a bunch of exotic animals, but their main, um, their main attractions are like tigers, white tigers, lions, um, panthers. And so when you mentioned that you had been a trainer, like that was extremely intriguing to me because I grew up around my mother taking me to this park and being a huge activist in the, um, the saving of wild, you know, exotic wildlife. So tell us a little bit more about that. Um, interestingly enough, one of my earliest memories is being on horseback in the middle of the night riding in front of my mother. My parents lived at the, um, well, the ass end of nowhere, Alabama, on 10 acres, and they boarded and trained horses and dogs. So when I say training large animals, I'm not only referring to horses, I'm also referring to dogs. And it's interesting because there are very different styles of training because one is predator, one is prey. And my earliest memories involve riding, training, being involved with them. When I hit puberty and realized that I had my own interests 
it was interesting to me to realize that I had already begun treating the boys that I was interested in and a little bit later when I realized it, the girls I was interested in, the exact same way that I would treat a dog that I was trying to train. (laughs) That's interesting because I had explained last week that I too had encountered, um, I realized I had been training as a dominatrix my whole life. I just was naturally dominant, but I never realized it until I got into the adult industry. And then like a bell went off like, ding, you know, you've been doing this your whole life. You just didn't realize that the way that you were approaching it was a little bit different because of course, you know, when you do it in the adult industry versus when you do it in vanilla life, it's, you know, the same concept, but just, um, the rules are a little different and you, you deal with it a little bit differently, but how did you, you know, transition from a regular, you know, vanilla life of things that you were already doing in the BDSM world into the professional life? Well, I got involved in kink um, at 19. I had known that I was kinky since 14 or 15. I don't remember exactly when I was gifted a copy of um, Anne Rice's Claiming a Sleeping Beauty. And I realized very quickly that there lay my heart, or at least my libido. So I... um, when I became involved later, actually actively in the BDSM community, I spent years in the lifestyle community. I was not a part of the professional world for quite some time. But in the lifestyle community, I spent, oh, I had a leather title run. I was, I founded a couple of groups in my hometown of Atlanta. Um, I was a dungeon monitor. I taught classes in a number of conventions. And one day I realized I love doing this. But you know what? Girls got bills to pay. I was constantly being offered money for sessions. And I had always said no, because while I had professional friends, I just hadn't been in a position where I felt comfortable being one of them. And a while ago, I just said, you know what? I'm here. Let's do this. And I found it to be a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. It's in different ways than in the lifestyle community, but the rewards are very similar. Definitely. Uh, there's, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. Um, about the definite line between professional BDSM and lifestyle BDSM. And there's a lot of friction between the two communities because the lifestyle community, a lot of the lifestyle community dominatrix and even some of the submissives and slaves are very adamant against the people that are able to financially benefit from the professional side of of kink. And I've been on both sides. Um, I didn't do the lifestyle thing very long. I went direct. I'm a business person. And so immediately when I realized that there was an ability to um, build an empire, like I was able to fund other aspects of my creative side through the money that I was making through um, being a dominatrix and just, you know, the adult industry as a whole. But I, I received a lot of flack from lifestyle people that were like, oh, you know, you're, you're taking away from the 
the the respect and you know there there's just so many aspects of how they shame there's no with, honor you're selling out yeah i've heard that right and you're profiting off of somebody else's kink and i'm like no it, what it does is it legitimizes a relationship or a transaction between myself and a person and it makes it so that if you don't want to be involved in that situation anymore it's simple you just keep going where when you're in a lifestyle mm-hmm. A lot of people end up in, it's almost like a sexless marriage. You end up in this situation where you're really not happy, but you don't know how to walk away because, you know, it's a lifestyle choice. And, you know, even as a submissive or a slave, you still have choices. And, you know, you can elect to remove yourself from a situation. But it's just for me, it's, I'm very much um, to the point. Like, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is what you expect of me. This is what I expect of you. And the money just keeps it legitimate for me. It keeps everything on point. And um, I, I enjoy making money from something that I'm already going to be doing in my everyday life. I mean, that's kind of why I did porn. You know, I was already fucking. I was already sucking. I was already, you know, pissing on the toilet. And if I can get paid to do all that shit, then why the fuck not? Exactly. Um, I was lucky. I didn't come to, when I really got involved in the community, one of my first good friends was a professional. Um, For those of you in the Northeast, Sue's Sexy Sadist is an amazing woman. She is an incredible dominant. She's an incredible top. I've actually bottomed to her. And she was the very first pro I had ever met. I was volunteering with a convention. And the job that they had given me was to go and pick up guests from the airport and bring them to the convention. I was a broke college student, so volunteering is how I got into things. So I'm thinking, oh, they've got me picking up this this prodom, this dominatrix. And all I knew about pros were was what I saw on TV. So I'm expecting this, you know, perfectly coiffed, clad in leather, getting off of the airline basically bitch who treated everyone as though they were just another source of money. Boy, was I surprised when this statuesque brunette comes striding up to me and says, oh, you must be Nicole, and gives me this giant hug. And by the time we made it to the hotel 20, 30 minutes later, I felt as though I had known her my entire life. I ended up bottoming to her that night. And you guys don't know me, so that doesn't sound significant to you. But I think I've bottomed in public a grand total of six times in my entire life. It's very significant because when you are a professional dominatrix, in in the lifestyle world it's not as serious or it's not as, um, important as it is in the pro-dom um, arena because when you are a pro-dom, there's a certain image that you have to uphold to other, you know, other pro-doms. And so being a switch at any given point during that, that time throughout your entire career is extremely significant because it shows, A, the level of trust that you have with the, the dominant that you are switching for, and it also is significant because it's not something that most pro doms do at all or very often. So and to be that entirely definitely... fair, I was, I was not a professional at that time. 
at that time, I was still a fairly newbie college student, really wetting my feet in the lifestyle. So what was really helpful about that, though, was that as I was really getting into the lifestyle, one of my earliest people, I, mentors almost, who I really looked up to and respected was a professional. So that sense of, oh, the pros are terrible, I, there's no way I could have developed it because anytime I heard someone even begin to say that, the first thing that swam through my, you know, swam behind my eyes was this image of Suze giving me this gigantic hug. And I'm like, nope, can't, can't actually view pros as terrible people. I'm sorry. I don't know who you've been meeting, but at least one I know is an amazing human being. So no. And it gave me a very positive image from the very beginning. And one of my early conventions was DomCon Atlanta. So I ended up early on meeting a number of fantastic professionals. Uh, during my title run, Mistress Ellen of uh, San Diego or San Francisco, oh, I'm terrible, I can't remember. Mistress Ellen, beautiful, beautiful woman, bought my, one of my auction items which was a basket full of my personal inherited antique dining ware. I had inherited it from my grandmother. Now, to be entirely fair, I inherited enough to feed a banquet hall. But I put together <laughs> four place settings of, Chris, of my personal antique crystal, china, and silver, pushing it off as part of my title run. And I said, during that run, this is my, you know, this is my personal, this is something that I inherited from my grandmother who taught me formal dining and formal tea service. This has meaning to me. This isn't just something I went and picked up at Walmart. Not only did she buy my basket, bidding against everyone and winning it in auction, that money, which, by the way, went to my title fund for the year, she turned around and donated it back to me because she couldn't stand the idea of my not having it. If there had ever been an idea in my mind that professionals were sellouts or only cared about themselves or something, I, any last bit of it was destroyed that morning when she gave me back my basket. Wow. That's incredible. There's definitely, I think, the idea that all doms are bitches and, like, if people could see, like, my best friend is a professional um, black dominatrix, like, and she's, like, heavy into, like, the whole um, black supremacy and, you know, Black Panther mm -hmm. movement and all that kind of stuff. And people are like, how in the fuck are you guys best friends? And I'm like, we ask ourselves that same question frequently, but when you <laughs> click, click with somebody, and I know a side of her it's interesting that you say that because I know a side of her that most people don't get to see or experience ever in their life. And so the dynamic of our, our friendship, and she sees a part of me, like she's seen all of the struggles that I've gone through trying to help out these girls and, you know, how I've been, people have lied about me and they've, you know, made up these extravagant stories about what a con artist I am and all these other, you know, this bullshit that obviously is bullshit because I'm still around and she's seen, like, the truth behind the situations where those same people that have made up those stories have been the same people that have fucked me over. And she's, like, watched 
as my heart has broken over and over and over again as I see faith and, and have, you know, I, I see potential in these girls and I invest into them. And then the shit that I get back is just so disheartening. And then, you know, for her to be there and just be like, I'm here for you. And I don't want anything from you but your love, attention, and friendship. And it's like, wow. You know what I mean? And she's a dominatrix. So other people look at her and they're like, she's such a bitch. She's on social media, you know, spitting in people's faces and cussing these guys out and doing this and doing that. And then she comes mm-hmm. here and we cry together and we laugh together and we talk about our future and our, our aspirations and our goals in life. And, you know, people don't get to see that side of, the dominatrix world because all they see is what's on social media. And when you're putting on that persona, you know, you can't really come off as being weak or you lose your sense of superiority. And so to have that experience with the illusion. Right. And to have to have that experience with another dominatrix who gave back to you in a situation that was totally like you had no intentions of, another um, dominatrix purchasing your item or, or giving it back to you. Like, it's amazing when you get to experience that from someone. And I'd, rather, I'd much rather talk about those times than to talk about the drama and the shit that happens when people don't get along, because that happens a lot too. But I like to focus on the positive for me personally, because I feel exactly. like it, just, it doesn't get as much um, – airplay it doesn't get any type of social media presentation like we're not I I, matter of fact that's one of the things I talk about on like my um, social media I have a a webinar that I do about social media and most of everything I post on my social media is either promotion of my brand or my business or it's positive stuff like people that have given back to the community or you know things of that nature so I'm really happy to hear about that let me just say that I, I agree completely. There's, if you look for drama, you're always going to find drama. If you look for a reason to be pissed off, you're always going to find a reason to be pissed off. It, it's just going to be there. And I have been involved in a lot of communities. I've been involved in the burn community. I've been in, in the lifestyle community. I've been in the horse showing world. I've been involved with the law enforcement community. I've been involved with military there is drama everywhere. This idea that somehow the pro-dom or femdom community is somehow inherently more dramatic because it's a bunch of powerful women is, to be honest, it pisses me off because if you want to see a bunch of dramatic fuckers, go hang out with a bunch of cops. Those are some whiny bitches sometimes. And I say that, God love them. I I grew up with them. But, man, those guys squabble and create more drama than any of the femdoms that I know, whether they are pro or lifestyle. (laughs) You have to hang around some fat girls. Girls in this business are some of the biggest complainers. For a long time, there was whining and crying and social media, you know, tangents about how the award shows don't give any love to the BBW, so they incorporate, you know, people are activists and they go for trying to get these awards 
to recognize BBWs in the adult industry. It happens, and then it's, oh, they don't let the BBWs come accept their awards on the stage. Oh, the BBWs don't get this. Oh, the BBWs don't get that. And I'm like, yo, it's called progression for a reason. Slavery didn't end overnight. So it takes time for progression to take place and to achieve all of the goals that you want it to achieve. Appreciate what's happening now. Otherwise, it's going to stop, and that's what happened. You know, they went ahead and made the BBW Award a niche award this year because of all of the fucking drama. And I'm like, good going, guys. Now we get to be linked up with everybody instead of having a category of our own. So it's a prime example of how when you complain about something and you don't give things time, natural time to progress, you it ends up being, you know, counterproductive and you end up with the opposite of what you intended. So, and yeah, it's in every community, like everywhere that I've worked, there's always the people, you know, that complain about how much money they don't make or how they don't have enough vacation time or it's always something like no matter where you go, we just live in a world, our world is com- is about complaining. No one's ever happy. And honestly, there's always I hear what you're saying about progression. The flip side of that is that things won't ever change or get better unless we push them to because no one has ever no one has ever given up power just because they thought it was a good idea. Right. We we had to fight, you know, we had to fight a whole war to fix the damn slavery issue. And we still have a very long way to go towards true equality, as I'm sure that your best friend would be the first to remind both of us. So progression doesn't happen without pushing for it, but at the same time, we, I agree we need to recognize how far we've come. Of course, I say that skinny little upper middle class white woman who I'm the person that when I say I need to talk to the manager, everybody just grits their teeth because I'm going to get what I want. Yeah, I I totally understand that. Um, Yeah, it's about progression, and I'm glad to see any type of unity. I try to support it. Well, I did. I've since then removed myself from any type of activism if it's not something that serves my immediate needs or purpose. And I know that sounds really selfish, and um, it is, but I've spent many, 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 many years working on projects and sacrificing my own personal accomplishments, you know, building projects and doing things for other people and being a part of the reason why those awards were ever brought into the AVNs or XBIZ or anywhere. And for it to to watch that shit go downhill, like, I'm not activating, I'm not being a part of the activism for any of that shit. Like, you guys complain too much, you can have it. You fight for it. You do the work. You you do something that's self-sacrificing that helps progress for the same things that you complain about. Me personally, I've done my part and I'm just at this stage where um, I feel like through my radio show and through other things that I'm doing, I'm able to educate people and hopefully inspire them in a different way. I think maybe what I was doing is not working. So, you know, to find my own mental, (laughs) to find my own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and when it comes to being a dominatrix, like I've been in and out of the world, like I haven't, like divulge myself into being a full-time dominatrix for a long time. I removed myself 
um, because at the time I was also shooting porn, and that was a huge, like, a big deal for a lot of people. Like, I can't respect you as a dominatrix because you shot a porn. And I'm like, really? Like, you are oh, fucking fuck off. Like, you don't watch it. Like, you don't do it. You're, you're fucking and sucking at some point in your life. I mean, you have kids. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you had to fuck to get the kids. They didn't happen by happenstance. Like, you didn't wake up and the stork had left them on your doorstep, you know? So, it's like, it's, it's happening. It's just that you feel like, as a dominatrix, I'm not able to express myself via camera because I'm submitting myself through porn. And I'm like, no, I'm not, because I'm not letting them choke me and I'm not letting them spit on me, and they're not being dominant towards me in the sense that they're, you know, telling me what to do. I'm getting what I want, getting my needs met. But there's a huge debate about that. Just like the whole thing about the lifestyle doms and the pro doms, the same thing happens with dominatrix that are full-time dominatrix, and then there's, you know, women who are dominatrix who also participate in um, the creation of porn, which to me it's all the same shit. Like it's all under the same umbrella. We're all sinners. Like your sin is no worse than my sin. So, <laughs> which is actually what we're going to talk about today is kink shaming, which is huge in the adult industry. It happens so frequently, and it's so unsettling and disheartening and disappointing. Like. What you do is your business. What I do is mine. And even though I may not agree with what you do, I may not like the fact that you train dogs or or horses, which I personally don't believe that, but I'm just using it as an example. But Mm -hmm. what you do in the privacy of your home or what you do in your porn is your business, and what I do in mine is, is my business. And I feel like since we're all in the same community, you know, I feel like, it's like we're we're all swimmers and we're in the same pool, but because you do the backstroke and I do the butterfly. Like, I'm going to not like you because you do the backstroke. Like, it's stupid. Absolutely. I am, um, and everybody has their things that squick them out. There are types of play. I don't want to see. I have too many young children in my life and in my family that watching adult baby play can't do it. But you know what? There is a place for it. There are people, my, my good friend um, Alice Scary handles adult baby sessions and when people come to me and ask for them you know what let me send you to her because she's amazing and she's comfortable doing that i watched um i used to be squicked by um a pony play interesting that you mentioned mentioned that and then i watched um not even pony play i watched the world equestrian games there's a fantastic YouTube video out there for those who are interested um, on freestyle dressage. And I watched that with my personal boy at the time, and we both looked at each other and we went, that's hot. And in that moment, I lost all of my squick about pony play and realized that I, I wanted that boy in a bit. I totally understand. I mean, yeah, and – Here's the whole reason why the kink shaming really became so adamant this week. Um, Many vids announced their award winners, and in the midst of announcing their award winners, um, Lana Rain, who does um, heavy cosplay, was attacked Mm -hmm. once again. She's been under scrutiny for quite some time because the rumors are that her girlfriend is 16 years old and, you know, the girlfriend allegedly lives in Italy, which it is 
perfectly legal there to have a relationship. Um, Lana Rain is 21 or 22, and the girl is 16 in Italy, and it's perfectly legal there for her to have a relationship, you know, out there. I guess the legal age is 16. But nonetheless, a bunch of um, adult stars were attacking her because she was number one on many vids, and she's making this money, and she's getting all this recognition. And then she wins three awards. And the big dilemma is, oh, she has a 16-year-old girlfriend who she talks about on her social media, and her porn fans are on her social media, and she does cosplay with characters that are underage, and yada, yada, yada. So at first I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm not really into that kind of stuff either, but then I thought about it, and I'm like, why are we kink-shaming her? First of all, she does cosplay for characters that don't exist. They are cartoon characters. And in no way, shape, form, or fashion is she indicating that they're underage. She's not saying, hi, I'm a 10-year-old, come molest me. You know, it's just a character. It's no different than playing Velma from Scooby-Doo, who was a teenager. It's no different than playing, you know, these other characters, Minnie Mouse, designed for children. These are characters, cartoon characters that were designed for, you know, children. So what's the difference? Why is it any different for her to do these characters? Now, the fact that she's dating a 16-year-old and talks about her on her social media to her, you know, fans, then we, you know, if we're going to attack that, then we also have to attack the, the porn stars that share pictures and stories of their children, their minor children with their fans. What's the difference? Well, it's, I would call that a pretty nuanced issue, personally. I mean, most of the parents who are sharing that aren't fucking their children. But with that said, what she is doing is not illegal. And I would argue that, um, for example, my home state of Georgia has a graduated age of consent. Now, the way that Georgia works, Lana would still be, it would still be statutory rape, but the, their graduated age of consent, I think, is a pretty decent model. At, it is a three-year rule, starting at age 15. At age 15, if you are having sex with someone who is within three years of your age, so 15, 16, 17, then it's perfectly, uh, actually, no, sorry, 16, 17, 18, perfectly legal. 17, or 16, they can be up to age 19, 17 to 20, you get the picture. At 18, obviously, all bets are off. That idea of a graduated age of consent is predicated on this idea that you are most likely making the decision with your libido and your heart yourself versus being manipulated by someone who's basically a pedophile if that person is within a few years of your own age. I would argue that someone who is within the, uh, I mean, what's the other, the other joke is the seven-year rule. They're within seven years of each other. Would I personally find a 16-year-old attractive? Well, no, but so? The young lady is of age where she is from, and more importantly, to me, there is not such a huge gap that this is clearly a case of someone who is only interested in people who are, say, very close to the age of puberty or below. This is a close enough gap that there's not a gigantic maturity difference. So 
I would argue that, yes, it is kink-shaming to say that this relationship is a problem. Would I personally get involved in it? No. Would I go out to dinner with the two of them? Sure. Probably wouldn't get into a threesome with them afterwards, though. So right. what? There's plenty of folks I wouldn't get into a threesome with. Well, that's the same thing as, like, a lot of the girls that are attacking her participate in mommy-son role play. And to me, like, how is that any different? How – you got to think about when, when I come – like, this is why I'm very uh, – I stay, like, quiet about a lot of things because either, A, I don't know a lot about it and I'm not going to argue about things that I don't know a lot about, or, two, it really doesn't have any effect on me and anything that I'm doing, you know, do I agree with what she's doing? I mean, I don't disagree. I, I, I don't do it myself. I'm not, you know, have I done mommy-son role play? I did it a couple of times. I wasn't comfortable with it. It wasn't for me, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't, that I'm going to attack other people that participate in that particular fetish. It doesn't always have to be, you know, um, I don't want to say it's not incestually, what is it, incestually implicative because I assume that the fetish is, but, again, I don't know enough about it to really speak on it. So rather than, you know, do hours and hours of research, I just stay in my lane and, you know, what you do is your business and what I do is mine. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who's getting off to it is participating in that type of behavior. It just might be something that they've mentally explored as we've all, you know, things in our head that we're just like, I don't understand that. Like, I have this incredibly weird thing about cupcakes, but, you know, <laughs> I don't have a porn fetish with cupcakes, but I like smashing them. It's kind of weird, and people look at me like I'm crazy, but, I mean, it it is what it is. But a lot of these, the, the whole purpose in mentioning it is that a lot of these girls that are attacking her are doing so while participating in other things that are also that can be seen as problematic. That could be seen as problematic. If you, even if you're a, a squeaky clean person and you don't do anything outside of the norm, even still, like, why are you spending that time and energy on her when you could be focusing on your own stuff and just make your stuff that much better? You know what I mean? Like that's how I see things Absolutely. in the grand picture, in the grand scheme of things. Like I'm not worried about what you're doing unless it is directly offensive to me or it directly affects my money and what I'm doing and I'm going to focus on my own shit because the only way that I can, you know, eliminate situations like that is to be better. Mm -hmm. Like I tweeted the other day, all these girls going on and on about someone stole my video idea or someone stole my concept. And I was like, how do you know that the same person who might, like maybe a customer requested it from them. Maybe they want to see you dressed up as Violet from, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's not something I would have done had somebody not requested it of me. So how do you know that the same person who may have given you that idea didn't do the same with me instead of accusing me of stealing your concept and video idea? At the end of the day, just be like, I'm going to do it better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's not like clients don't know how to get in touch with more than one of us. That's how Google works, baby. It's just like, crazy. I'm sorry, but our clients are not monogamous with us. I mean, I suppose that there are instances, you know, maybe you've got somebody in chastity and you're, you know, and you bought the lock and you're the only one with a key. Yeah, sure. Your client's monogamous with you. But the vast majority of the time, baby, don't fool yourself. 
they can find right. someone else. They can request the exact same thing from someone else. All you can do about that is, as you said, be better. There's um okay. there's a principle. The the day, oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. There's a, okay, there's a principle in psychology. Um, my bachelor's degree is in psychology, and there, any time a group feels um, attacked or oppressed, they have a tendency to become really insular to the exclusion of members of their own group. We see it in the LGBTQIA plus uh, community. You've got cisgender gay dudes giving shit to um, guys that they view as too femmy or cross-dressers who also happen to be gay. You've got lesbians giving shit to trans women as not being real lesbians because they were born with a dick. There's this sense of you have to be a real member of my group, which means you have to identify within the group the exact same way I do, and God forbid you deviate from that one iota. We see it here. We see it in the kink and in the, um, in even the lifestyle industry where littles are always on sort of on the edge, and a lot of people are squicked out by them. And there, there are a lot of conventions where I won't say they're not welcome, but they're certainly not made to feel welcome. Same with uh, puppies and kitties. You know what? I don't personally want to do puppy play with someone. But the fact that you're holding a BDSM convention and making an entire subset of kinky people feel unwelcome, dude, quit kink shaping. We're all kinky. Why are you doing this? I understand that it is, it is a basic psychological principle. I understand that that is the way our heads are wired. But if we couldn't be better than our basic biology, we'd have died out as a species a long time ago. We wouldn't have, I don't know, running water. We wouldn't have ever figured out latrine pits and gotten as far as indoor plumbing. You can be better than your basic biology. Agreed. I, I totally agree. Like, we wouldn't have porn. We wouldn't have the BDSM community. We wouldn't have kink had it not been for someone being like, okay, this may not be what everybody else is doing, but I'm still going to do it. There's there's something to be admired in the diversity of people who do things differently. No, I may not, you know, one of my really good friends is a little person. I don't understand the attraction, but you know, and do I, I, I don't have no feelings about it. Let me not say that. It's not that I don't understand the attraction. It's not something I personally would participate in. Not because I see anything wrong with it, but it just, it, it's weird to me. But it's the same thing with you, like a puppy thing. Like I'm not going to participate in puppy play. It just seems weird. It may be weird, but that doesn't make it any less um I don't want to say accurate, but it, it doesn't make it any less or more than what every, what everybody else is doing, any other kink. Like I have dominatrixes that 
you know, friends of mine that participate in blood play and needle play, I don't do anything with cutting. I'm not cutting any skin. I am not a surgeon. I do not want to be responsible for someone's life, and it would be my luck. I would hit an artery or something or a main vein, and somebody would bleed to death, and I just couldn't live with that on my conscience. So I don't play with any, and I don't like that shit myself. So I don't particularly play with it, but I don't sit and judge those that do. That's their thing. And I don't have a problem exactly. with it because they're not cutting me. And it's so it's so easy to forget that you're sitting over here, you being the general you, obviously not you. You're sitting over here and shaming somebody for their kink. But I'm sorry, have you paid any attention to how the rest of the population views your collection of floggers and dildos? Right. <laughs> like, you want to say somebody else is weird and, like, the bad kind of kinky. Well, baby, that whole glass houses and stones thing, because that's an awful big rock you're hefting. Right. Although that said, I have to say, I absolutely adore blood play and cutting. I won't do it with clients. I'll only do it with someone I'm already fluid bonded with. But, oh, oh, it's so yummy. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Like, I would never judge you or think any less of you because of it. That's your thing. It's just not for me. Just like, you know, I've done interracial porn, and that might not be for you. You might never want to be in any type of interracial, you know, sex play or pornography or anything of that sort, but I'm, But you don't judge me either, you know. That's my mouth that the dick is suck, that I'm sucking, you know what I mean? That's my mouth that's getting the work in, not yours. So it doesn't have to – and it's, I feel that way about – interracial marriage about you know one of the topics that someone brought up was you know um they have a problem with gay people raising children and i'm like yo some of the gay people that i know are better parents than any parents i've ever met in my life they there's almost no such thing yeah there's almost no such thing as a gay couple that accidentally had a kid they that they're raising even though they never wanted like that's really fucking difficult if you're a gay couple so man I'm calling props for people who actually go out there and put in effort to have and raise children, particularly considering how many are out there who need help. Exactly. Like if that, if that improves the life of just one child, we're already making progress. Like who gives a fuck that their, their marriage or their relationship doesn't meet the same criteria as you. But here's the thing. You know, the same conversation has been had about, you know, um, matter of fact, I blogged about it a couple months ago about the Kardashians. Everyone's making this big deal about how all the Kardashian children have had kids out of wedlock. And I'm like, yo, but they're some of the, they're good parents. They're pretty decent parents. Like, they really give a fuck about those kids. At least it looks like that on TV. But I digress. Just because they weren't married doesn't mean them being married was going to make them better parents. I've been in a situation personally where my parents were miserable, and it was a terrible upbringing. And, you know, it was some of the worst memories of my childhood with my parents bickering and fighting and, you know, the the way that my mom was treated and, you know, seeing my mother go through the things that she went through. I wish they wouldn't have got married because it would have made things easier if she could have just walked away and been like, fuck you, I'm out, I'm done, no divorce. You know, going through the divorce was hectic because now we got to talk about even though, you know, my dad wasn't really active in our upbringing, now all of a sudden he wants to, you know, fight for custody and shit like that, which why? You didn't give a fuck about us while we were there. Why do you give a fuck now? But I said all that to say this, like, just because they were married, 
you know, having a child out of wedlock is not the worst thing that can fucking happen to a kid. Being in a, 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 a loveless, you know, unhealthy marriage and witnessing that this is what marriage is supposed to be or th- this is how, you know, your mother is supposed to be treated or your father, maybe it's, you know, roles reversed, maybe the mother abuses the husband or whatever, you know, this is how your parents are supposed to be treated, you know, that's worse because you live with that for Absolutely. the rest of your life. That is me- mental trauma that you as a child take with your whole fucking life. There's a, there's a Blink-182 song called Stay Together for the Kids. Um, I I highly recommend that at some point soon you listen to it. it it's describing exactly what you're talking about. I think I, I agree completely. Just because one person's life situation is not what you would choose doesn't make it a wrong situation, a bad situation, or whatever. You know what? I live my life in ways that would piss off a whole lot of people, most of them who vote very differently than me. We'll leave it at that. And you know what? I love my life. And I will not allow anyone to tell me I'm somehow a bad person because of it. Like, bitch, I probably donate more of my net worth to charity every year than you do. Don't don't tell me that I'm somehow a bad person because you don't like, as you put it, who or how I fucking suck. It's none of your fucking business. At the end of the day, it's none of anyone. This is the thing. We live in a, a society where now people feel entitled. They feel entitled to know, like, um, uh, this whole thing about Richard Pryor supposedly being gay. Who gives a fuck? The man's dead. And even if he was still alive, yep. what the fuck is it your business for? His, he wasn't, you know, nothing that he was doing had anything to do with your life. He was just a fucking actor, a fucking comedian who made jokes. That's it. Where his dick went after he left the show, as long as he wasn't trying to touch your children or sexually harassing you, who gives a fuck? It does not matter. It really doesn't. The, uh, think- the, the Wiccan precept seems to hold true here, and I think more people apparently need to read up on some neo-paganism. I never thought I'd say that out loud on the podcast. And it harm <laughs> none, do as you will. You know, And I it harm none, the- do as you will. Yeah, I say it all the time. Like, we really, uh, this, our world spends so much time worried about the wrong fucking shit. If we were to detangle everything that we've learned since childhood, like my beliefs are so far from the norm, it's crazy. But they're so, it's such a sim- simple concept. You detangle yourself from the shit that you learn from the day that you're born. You know, you don't have to go to high school and get it. I'm not saying not to get an education. I'm just saying that. Your life is your life, and what path is going to lead you to your success will differ that from the person next to you. So maybe you went to school, high school, you made good grades, you graduated, you went to college, you met the man of your dreams, you got married, you, you know, had children, you bought the house, you, bought the, you, know, you got the dog, the white fence, and, the, and the, the amazing children. That life is what is taught to us from the minute we are born. That's what we're told we're supposed to do. It's not for everyone. Some of the most successful people in the world did not follow that same guideline. They did not finish high school. They did not finish college. They didn't marry the mother of their children. They didn't, you know, do all the things that we were taught from birth to do. And they turned out to be amazing, wonderful, successful people because they chose their path, they stuck with it, and they said, you know what, I don't care if you agree with it or not. Fuck you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And sometimes those are the happiest fucking most 
positive people of our world are those that take that same, you know, they detangle those those things that you learn and they rewire the brain to say, you know what, I understand, you know, just like when it comes to religion and politics, I don't agree with none of that shit. It's all fucking garbage. Prescriptions, like we're we're so busy fighting all these dumb laws right now, like people that are against porn, but yet prescriptions are so easily obtained from our doctors, and it's a huge problem in our country right now. There are children, 11, 12, 13, that start out on Ritalin, but then they become reliant on these pills. They get immune to them, and then they start going on to other things. And they're so they're in almost every household. There's some sort of narcotic or some sort of prescription that they're able to get a hold of. And this is where we're at right now. We're dealing with this problem, and nobody wants to talk about it. But they're so adamant about gay marriages and interracial relationships and shit that don't have you know that doesn't affect anyone because what you do in your home, you know, cutting yourself and you know putting your blood into a IV thing or whatever you want to do has nothing to do with me. But yet uh-huh. I might have a prescription inside of my home that my small child could get a hold of and overdose on or my teenage child may become hooked on, and that's not a problem. And, I mean, I, I really feel you on the life path thing. My, I'm a college graduate. Um, I'm getting ready to go back to grad school. My, I make a pretty substantial income completely aside from any professional work and I love what I do I I am the picture of you know went to college made good grades I had a slightly non-traditional path to get there but whatever Uh, pretty highly educated getting even more educated my alpha dropped out of high school works with his hands gets dirty all day every day blue straight up blue collar worker and I'll tell you what I make a substantial income, and he makes twice what I do. He's, frankly, by most American capitalist standards, he's more successful than I am. And you know what? That's okay because we found different paths to our bliss. He loves what he does every day. He'll work 14 hours for fun. I love what I do every day. I will – I'm sitting here on vacation on my Saturday night chatting here with you doing this because I love it and he loves what he does and we took very different paths and you know what we both make good money we both have a good life and there's no competition it doesn't like this is the thing when you get into a situation like me and my relationship it is very different than what I would have expected 10 years ago the the type of relationship I was raised to believe I had to have you know, romanticism, and relationships are highly romanticized. Like, our youth believes fairy tales are true, and that's a big issue also in our community is that our children are taught to believe and and they're raised on fantasies. But yet, here we are in the kink world entertaining fantasies, and it's wrong. So you teach someone something their whole childhood life, and then when they become an adult, you tell them, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. You can't, you can't do that. So we're, we romanticize love and relationships, and then when you get into the adult world, you realize that love is a great reason to be together, but it's not the foundation of a ha- happy, healthy relationship. What's 
a great foundation is a friendship that turns into love or love that turns into friendship, however it works out. And you fight for things like building a life together, and it doesn't have to be about competition. It's about being a team. You know, I don't give a fuck if he makes, you know, $6 million a year and I make $6. It does not matter. It's a, this is not a competition. This is about me bringing to the table what I bring to the table, my strengths, and he compliments my weaknesses and vice versa. But people don't see things exactly. that way. They see it as, well, well, my love has more love than your love. You know what I mean? Like in situations, go ahead. And have you, have you ever noticed how you talk about fairy tales, our kids are taught to believe, have you ever noticed how in almost all those fairy tales the um, that they're always rich at the end? Have you ever noticed how the ending of all these fairy tales is happily ever after, as though there's never a fight after that, there's never an argument? I swear to God, and I think every other pro-dom out there will, will agree with me, it feels like, at least all the ones that I know, it feels like a third of our job is marriage counseling. <laughs> exactly. Because these guys don't understand, and, and our female clients too, they get fed a steady diet of Disney bullshit where at the end of the movie, the, you know, the prince and princess kiss and everything is wonderful and beautiful and fantastic from there. And it's all happily ever after. And God forbid you ever have a fight because if you have a fight or a disagreement, then that means that, oh my God, the plot must still be going on. And the real Prince Charming is hiding in the background and just hasn't, you haven't noticed him yet. So you should leave and find your real Prince Charming. Man, real life don't work that way. Like, basic, any marriage and family therapist will tell you conflict is healthy. You, you shouldn't look for a fairy tale because you're never going to have that for longer than it takes the NRE to wear off. NRE being the, for anybody who doesn't know this, I presume that you do, um, the polyamory term for new relationship energy, that early on feeling of, oh, my God, they can do no wrong. I'm so in love. They're wonderful. I'm so obsessed with them. Yeah, no, actually, sweetie, everybody feels that. Shit, it's normal. It wears off, and it doesn't mean you're broken because it wore off. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, we, we definitely, um, for me, the best thing, like our relationship has evolved and grown and we've gotten even closer through those times that I thought were going to be the end of it, the end of everything. You know, at the time that it's happening, it's a storm, but when the storm clears, you've got rainbows and sunshine and I know this sounds so cliche, but it's true. When everything clears Absolutely. and you really look at it and you say, I can love you even though you pissed me off, even though you broke my heart, even though you hurt me, and be able to say, but I still love you and I'm still going to stay in this and make this work, that is rare. And that is what relationships should be. That's what you sh- There should be a Disney movie about how even if it doesn't end up that they stay together at the end, there can still be a happy ending. Because Absolutely. We're, not, um, we're not teaching our girls that it's okay to be single. It's okay to be without a man or it's okay to be without a partner. You can be just as strong and successful without having to be in a relationship. 
absolutely. We're teaching, and we're teaching boys that they need to find somebody to go and rescue. We're teaching them to be afraid of strong women because what we're modeling for them is that the heroine of the story, like the, the one who they are supposed to be looking for is the princess in the tower, not the female knight who's fighting right beside them. We're setting our boys up for failure and we're setting our girls up too. It's not fair. And we're turning around and then shaming all of them for everything that we've taught them. We've taught an entire generation how to use the internet. I mean, we've got an entire generation now who are of age who have literally never lived without the internet. And then we're surprised when they come up with kinks and fetishes that maybe we aren't into. Okay. And we've taught this entire generation how to think for themselves. And then we get mad at them when they do it. And we try to sit there and shame them because they're doing something different than we would. That's everything. Like the eighties was big on plastic surgery. The eighties was, you know, synonymous with getting plastic surgery to alter your body to this, you know, whether it was to lose weight or to get these bigger lips or, you know, facelifts or whatever, whatever it was, liposuction, whatever you were getting done, you were getting it, getting done because you felt the pressures of fitting into society. But then once you got it done, look at, look now, everyone's like, oh, you know, Cardi B got butt plants and this type of surgery and that type of surgery. Now you're ridiculed for that same surgery that you had to fit into society. Society, and that's the end, like, that's the whole moral of the story is, like, no matter what you do, society's never going to accept you. It's just a fucking reality of life. Society is never going to accept you, but you can always accept yourself. And that's all that fucking matters at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I could not agree more with that. I get super frustrated when you talk about, people expecting, you know, it used to be a big thing where it was just sort of expected that you'd have plastic surgery and now you get shamed for it. And yet I live in an area that's oh, it's really wealthy. It's really white. It's really, um, it's very Stepford. And the women there are still getting plastic surgery at the same rates they were in the eighties. They're just not talking about it because you can't admit you have to look like the results of plastic surgery, but God forbid you actually admit that you had it to get there. It's such a fucking double standard. And these are the same people who want to make laws about what we can and can't do in the bedroom, what we can and can't do on camera. These are the same people who are going to turn around and my kink's okay, but yours isn't. All of y'all fuck off. Well, what I mean, I understand the whole, like, trying to create laws, like, no, I don't understand. Let me rephrase that. I don't think there should be any laws in terms of what two consensual people do in the privacy of their own home. When it becomes public, that's a little bit different because then, you know, our minor children or other people are exposed to things that, you know, don't need to be exposed to. But when it comes to what you do in the privacy of your own home, like like, there are states that still have laws that you can't do anything but missionary sex. Anal sex is illegal. Mm-hmm. You can't use dildos. You can't masturbate. You can't you can't do anything. And like that that to me is those because our political system is still very well developed on Christianity. It's still very much based on church beliefs. And being that we're in a time where religion is 
highly diluted and even more so political, <clears throat> it's time oh, to yeah. change those it's time to change those laws and make it so that laws protect our society. For instance, um, like right now they're doing this huge um, campaign about the NRA and getting guns to teachers and, you know, after this school shooting, which this is what, school shooting number 15 that's been highly publicized or, you know, whatever number we're on, and it's like, really, you're just now deciding that this has been an issue? Columbine High was how many years ago? Like, our children's safety has been an issue for years and years and years, but you're worried about people shooting porn. You're worried about, um, you know, gay marriages. You're worried about interracial relationships. You're worried about kink and BDSM and, you know, whether or not it should be illegal or legal if a dominatrix wants to get, get paid to, you know, beat somebody with a paddle. Like, really, let's think about how does that really affect our society, at the end, we should be protecting our children, educating our youth, and preparing them for a life outside of, you know, out, out in the world. This world that's filled with all types of judgments and, you know, our poor children, are, are like our, our kids now, are fucking confused. They don't know whether it's okay to be skinny or fat. They don't know if it's okay to be gay or not gay. They don't, they don't know what it's okay to be because no matter what they are, it's going to be a problem with somebody. I don't and know. Not- Have you talked to some of the teenagers these days? I don't think they're the ones confused. I think they're the ones who are looking at the shit we fucked up and going, mm. I ain't having shit to do with that. Like, I hope I'm so. not, I'm not going to get Something super about political it. on the whole gun control b- debate, but have you seen what the students from Parkland are doing? Like whether you agree with what they're doing or not, like those are some kids who took what they perceive as the failure of the adults around them to handle the government and fix it. And they're going, they're going to war. They're flat out going to war against our government. And they're saying, nah, no, we're not doing this. And one of the main leaders, like one of the, the most interviewed kids from Parkland found out not long ago she uh she's also the president of her school's gay straight alliance because let me tell you apparently those girls a lot of these students I'm not even going to limit it to girls students seem to have paraphrased but internalized if your activism isn't intersectional who's it for anyway and I'm I'm so proud of these damn kids like I'm absolutely I don't absolutely. have enough good things to say no, and they—they're taking our stuff. They're taking our stuff like, oh, well, you're supposed to look like this. You're supposed to look like that. Um, they're most of the teenagers that I talk to, and I, I do talk to quite a few these days because I've, I'm involved in some other completely non-professional stuff. Where I'm listening to some of these kids, and they're saying, "No, nah, I like my body. No, nah, I'm good. Yeah, I could. I wouldn't mind looking like that or looking like this, but no, nah, I'm good." And I'm so damn proud of them because they've they've watched our whole generation struggle with our appearance, struggle with the mommy wars of working versus staying at home. They've watched us struggle with the government slowly slipping out of the hands of the people and into the hands of corporate lobbyists. And they're like, mm 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 mm, y'all done. I I see what y'all did, but we're gonna fix it now. 
and I'm so damn proud of them. Absolutely. No, I, what I'm referring to is there is even though these um, students from Parkland definitely represent a generation of very intelligent and very amazing individual thinkers, I love that. Absolutely. But there are also a lot of kids out there that are confused because they're being told one thing at home, they're being told something else at school, and they're experiencing something else amongst their peers. So that state of confusion, especially, I, I, I hope that these kids that are active, they're, they're activists for making a better place, not only for their, because from the things that I've heard from their speeches, it's not just about their school. They're concerned about, you know, the overall education system and just their overall youth. Yeah. I hope that they that they're that they are empowered and given the type of backing and, and their words are not falling on deaf ears. I know if you're listening and I'm listening and there are other people listening that it's definitely um it, it's starting to make its way and hopefully become effective. That's my hopes for things. But what I'm saying is like for these kids that they get all these different messages. Like, you know, you go to the internet, the internet's saying something and I want I hope that they are learning to decide for themselves. And as you said, as these kids have clearly demonstrated that that's, that's definitely starting to be a, a thing, I'm glad. I hope so. I don't and I think I, I think one of the things that we can learn from them is what I've noticed is that they are very critical consumers of information. They grew up knowing that a lot of the shit on the news was bought and paid for. Like, they've grown up knowing that, like, a lot of our generation, a lot of our parents' generation, like, if we saw it on the Internet, it must be true. It's bought whole hog. That's why, you know, your, your elderly aunt is still passing on those chain emails about, um, you know, sex slave rings in pizza joints. But these kids, and this is a thing that, and even to bring it back a little bit to the, the kink shaming, these kids have learned to be critical consumers of information from the time they learned how to type. And there's so much to that that we can learn because we, I think, still swallow these kind of outdated notions of, well, this is what I find hot, so it must be okay, but I don't find it hot, so it must be terrible. With And we, our whole generation, our the kink community, insert, insert whatever we you want to here, have a bad habit of then not looking it up. Like, okay, well, if you want to say that, uh, if you're worried that, you know, pony play is linked to bestiality and that's why it squicks you and you think it's terrible, okay, so why don't you go and get on PubMed because it's a free resource and look for some peer-reviewed studies about certain types of BDSM and is it linked to specific types of criminal activity? Spoiler alert, it's not. Um, but, I mean, we've got teenagers who are better consumers of, critical consumers of information than we are, and we're just sitting around here going, well, my pussy doesn't get wet for that, so it must be bad, and I don't like it, and you shouldn't do it either. Right, or my parents told me that's bad, so, you, so if you're going to do it, then that means it's bad. Instead of asking someone... You know, like the whole thing about um, little people, that it's somewhat um, 
implicative of incest or that any type of puppy play or furries or whatever, you know, that type of play, that's got to be some sort of bestiality. When in all actuality, the psyche behind those particular fetishes don't necessarily have that connotation. It might not even have anything to do with that. So instead of judging, how about you educate yourself and find out why is it that you like needles and blood play? It doesn't mean that you were a cutter or you try to commit suicide. There may be something totally erotic that you get out of it that's non-related to anything that I might believe because my my access to information is limited or your reason for it just differs outside of what I'm able to comprehend because I've never experienced it. It's like I've never had African food. I've never had Ethiopian food. So I can't tell you whether it's good or not. I just can tell you I've never Oh, my God. Brain, total, total squirrel. Come to Atlanta sometime. I will take you out for amazing Ethiopian food. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I can't. And because I've never experienced it, you know, I can't assume that it's good or bad. I don't know. I've never eaten it. Yeah. But I know that I'll try it one day, and when I try it, then I can say, yes, I like it, or no, I don't like it, and that's that. But who am I to be like, oh, you eat Ethiopian food? That's nasty. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even, I don't even yeah. fucking know what it tastes How do I know that it's nasty? And then, I mean, maybe even if you had and it's nasty to you, doesn't mean it's nasty to everybody. Maybe you've got the cilantro tastes like soap gene, whereas I've got the cilantro is the delicious garnish for everything that has ever touched cumin, because I love Mexican food. I love Mexican, so, too. I'm a fan of cilantro. Yeah. So we try, you know, but let's say you have that cilantro tastes like soap gene. There's an actual gene for it, and it makes cilantro taste awful and soapy to some people. So you and I bite this into the same dish. I love it. You hate it. It doesn't mean that the cook did a bad job on mine. It doesn't mean that one of us is wrong. It means we're wired differently. You know what? I get off on blood. You don't. We're wired differently. Oh, well. I also got the genetics for one color of hair, and you got the genetics for another. And? Right. But that makes, for me, that intrigues me to ask you, like, what is it about blood play that makes it so intriguing and and fulfilling for you? I'd like to know, because I personally am petrified of needles, and blood makes me queer, like, queasy. So (laughs) I'm like, if you can do it, more power to you. Okay, so weird thing, I'm actually terrified of needles. I won't do needle play. I'll cut, but I won't do needles fucking hate them every time I go and donate blood. Um, they, rec- they know me now, and they ask if I brought my Xanax. For the record, you can take Xanax and still donate blood. Things I learned after a few too many near, near pass outs at the uh, Red Cross. <laughs> but blood is, is delicious to me. Like, it's wonderful. And I joke that that's because I have a sociopath in the back of my head who's constantly whispering these wonderful little ideas, and we have to have discussions about how far I'm going to lengthen the leash this particular scene. I, I, I could have written Dexter. Um, oh, I love Dexter. I, I actually have a sex doll named after Dexter. His name is Dixter. Oh, my God, that's wonderful. Um, but so I you know how him. he talks about how he and the dark passenger sometimes have to have these almost conversations in his head where he's like, no, 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 no. you got to wait this long. You have to do it like this. You can't do that. 
Yep. And the dark passenger's like, but 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 we could but right over here, right? Right? A joke that I have, like, my dark passenger's name is Predator, and she's a big cat, and she just really wants to rake her claws down everything and watch it bleed. Our compromise is that in certain specific consensual relationships that involve fluid bonding, we do a certain amount of blood play. And it brings out that primal animal in me where that person who my frontal lobe, my human brain loves, adores them, thinks that they are are absolutely wonderful, appreciates when they make me tea, purrs like a kitten when they rub my shoulders, may even have a completely vanilla relationship with them, and and loves them. My frontal lobe doesn't isn't in charge in that moment. When that blood is in the air, the predator is going, ooh, ooh, yum, yum, hi, 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 I'm here. Did you know I'm here? And just scratching at the doorway in my head, aching to lick it up, aching to play in it, wanting to feel that that tacky texture on my fingers that feel like in that moment they should have claws. It makes my teeth hurt with this ache to bite down and bite in and taste it. There's a reason I don't do this with clients. Um, it's, it is the most primal, long before we started walking on two legs back when we were catching our meat with our teeth level of delicious. And that's where blood sends me back to. And I like it there because, man, it's nice when my frontal lobe shuts the hell up for a little while. (laughs) I understand. I mean, I've been saying this a long time. I think that what we we live in a time where we are mentally brainwashed. We are primal creatures that monogamy is not part of our DNA. It is something that we are taught, raised, and forced to believe. Um, but we are primal mm-hmm. creatures, and that we, and that's why we are so such a sexually charged um, society because we have been taught to suppress these sexual aggressions and these natural sexual feelings, like masturbation. That was one thing I talked about a few weeks ago. Is like when your kid starts telling you that they're masturbating, or you catch them masturbating, and the way that you respond to that is going to affect how they feel about masturbation for the rest of their life and their overall experience of sexuality as an adult. And I was was definitely um, scolded for masturbating when it was natural. I didn't do it because I was a pervert. I did it because that's what my body naturally did. I just did it. And it felt amazing. And then, of course, when you do something that feels amazing, you want to do it again and again and again. And, you know, we have learned, you know, since – you know, science has become so advanced that through masturbation, we release hormones, these endorphins that make us feel happy. So even if it's only uh-huh. 30 seconds, five minutes, or five hours of happiness that I receive from this, you know, masturbation, you know, it's something that we teach our children, you don't, you don't, don't masturbate. It's gross. It's nasty. It's, it's totally, you know, wrong. But it's not. It's something that we've been like taught to suppress because other people 
didn't agree with it or they felt like, you know, you're being able to self-pleasure yourself takes away from their ability to control you. Because and it's interesting been- how parents get really freaked out about it, even normally sex-positive parents, because none of us want to think about our children being sexual because then suddenly when you're like, well, I'm okay with my, my five-year-old masturbating, um, so does that mean that, like, I'm – this creeps me out because I'm thinking about my five-year-old sexually and, oh, my God, does this mean that I'm, I'm some kind of pedo? Am I going to hurt my kid? Okay, well, actually, what you're going to do is hurt your kid by telling them, as you were just saying, like, oh, my God, masturbation is gross, terrible, don't do it. My uh, a friend of mine, actually, her six-year-old, uh, she finally managed to break him of playing with his penis through his pajama pants in the living room by telling him that, you know what, your body feels great, your body feels good. I, you know what, playing with your penis feels great. However, no one else really wants to watch you do it any more than they want to watch you do anything else involving your nudity. So that is a private thing. Go to your room and then mess around with your penis all you want. But I don't really want to watch you any more than you would want to watch me cleaning my vagina. And <laughs> He got, he got it. Like, he understands now. Right. He knows that it's, it's perfectly okay for him to enjoy his body, but mama don't want to watch you doing it while you're watching, uh, I don't know what TV shows that six-year-olds Dragon watch, Ball uh, Rescue Bots. I mean, Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Never. Yeah. <laughs> well, not only that, but we got to teach them also because if they do it in public, it's illegal and they could go to jail and be listed as a sexual predator when, you know, we got to be careful. Like, it's a very – I understand where people get so confused. It's sensitive. I get it. But, yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, a lot of things involved in that particular conversation where it could be misconstrued and go left. Okay, yes, it's okay to masturbate in private, not around other people. You know what I mean? Like, that's – like, not yeah. in public. There you go. Do it all you want. She frames it as consent, which I think is is absolutely brilliant. She she frames it as, I didn't consent to see you messing with your penis. I didn't consent to see your penis. And by messing with it and giving yourself a hard-on, you are drawing attention to it. And I didn't consent to see your penis. If you want to mess around with your penis, go somewhere I don't have to see it. Just like you don't consent to see me when, um, I think, how was it she phrased it? Uh, You don't, uh, because he, oh, yeah, that's what it was. She told me he hates it seeing it when she open mouth kisses, as he puts it, French kisses, his dad, her husband. So she says, well, you didn't consent to see me French kissing your dad. Unless you want to see me climb in his lap and start French kissing him right now, which is also a completely okay and acceptable thing to do that you simply haven't consented to watch, go in your room. That's awesome. I'm glad that, you know, because one of the things, I'm on Quora, and Quora is like you ask questions and, you know, the general public can answer. And one of the things was that. Yeah, I love Quora. The um, teacher said, was it wrong that I didn't punish my student for masturbating in class and my response was, it was wrong that you didn't um, address the issue of public um, masturbation 
because, the other, like you said, other the other kids in the class did not consent to the masturbation, but you should have definitely had a conversation with him and his parents and advised that although I'm not condoning the act of masturbation, I'm not um, attacking the act of masturbation, I'm attacking the fact that it was done in my classroom, which was the distraction of the other students and was also lucidious activity, lewd and lucidious activity, and is illegal. You could go to jail for it. You would Mm -hmm. have to be listed as a sexual register. So, you know what I mean? Like, let's open up all of the possibilities with the situation, but the actual act of masturbation is okay. That was my response. Like, don't, let's not attack the act of masturbation. Let's attack the location and the circumstances surrounding it. And um, I was really surprised to see how well received that was because, you know, a lot of people don't believe. They're like, oh, no, you don't tell, you don't, you don't give your kid permission to masturbate. And, you know, it was one of those things that when I had to address it with my son, you know, I was like, listen, you know, I don't have a problem with you masturbating. I just want to make sure that you understand that that's not something that you can do, you know, outside of the privacy of your bedroom or, you know what I mean, like just be be mindful of who's around you because, you know, your sister doesn't want to see it. And like you said, I don't want to see it. So, yeah. And you know, yeah, I, think, I think that consent <laughs> is a is a great I think it's a great model for a lot of things because let's face it, we need to be teaching our kids more about consent early on anyway. Absolutely. And maybe then we will grow with a genera- with another generation who can look at somebody else's kink, at somebody else's fetishes, at somebody else's interests and go, Well, I don't share that and I don't consent to watch you doing it but Whatever you do at home in your bedroom, I don't give a shit. What you right. do for your porn, I just don't have to click on it. Absolutely. We have to take a quick little break. We're going to take a quick break. Stay on the line with me, and um, we'll be back to finish up our last half hour. We've had an amazing conversation. Like, you know we've been going for an hour and a half nonstop? Oh, yeah. It's been so much fun. <laughs> I love it. I love talking to you. I love that you have that psychology background and you have such a like I I really wasn't expecting this conversation to go the way that it did so I'm really excited so let's take our quick break and we'll be right back you're listening to Platinum Pussy Radio You're listening to Platinum Pussy Radio. 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 You're listening to Platinum Pussy Radio.
And we're back, Platinum Pussy Radio, and our special guest host. Announce yourself, please. Hello, I am Lady Arrakis. This is a great time for you to give out your um, plugs, your website, your social media, or anything else that you want to plug. Well, I am a professional dominant, a dominatrix out of Atlanta, Georgia. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Those are my primary methods right now of social media at ladyareket.com or just ladyareket on social media. That is Lady A-I-R-G-E-A-D. Yes, I know the spelling and the pronunciation don't match. That's Gaelic for you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I specialize in heavy BDSM scenes, slave training, um, with a particular focus on Proformal dining and household service for those sissy maids who are looking to serve a perfect pot of tea to their mistress. I am just waiting to train you because I am a a semi-professional tea blender, actually, a total tea snob, and own lots of beautiful antique teaware that you will learn to use properly and to serve from properly, or, oh, will you regret it? (laughs) I love it. I love it. I had never heard of, like, the whole, um, this whole professional, like, tell us a little bit more, like, the, what do you call it, tea training? So I found that, and I found this through years in the lifestyle community, is that male submissives, particularly sissies, loved to come to me and ask to be trained for dining service and tea service. They have this this wonderful mental image, um, much of it directly from, uh, I have Laura Antonu and her marketplace writings to thank for it, I swear. She has these, these absolutely beautiful scenes where she describes these slaves serving tea for master or mistress, um, groups, etc. And it really just set fire to the imaginations of a lot of sissies and even just domestic service submissives who read them. Well, there are not very many people who actually teach formal tea service, as it turns out. So when I entered the lifestyle community in my early 20s, people started asking me, well, can you, can you train me for tea service? Can you train me for tea service? And I was a little confused at first. I was like, well, this, this thing that I begrudgingly learned as a child from my grandmother, you now, people are clamoring to learn? Well, okay then, because over the years I'd actually become a tea snob. I'd come to really appreciate those manners that she had taught me. And my grandmother was, uh, I often refer to her as the last great Southern belle. So she not only taught me to take tea properly, although the term taking tea is a bit of an affectation, she also taught me to serve tea properly, even in the role of a servant, and how to receive that service. Because for whatever reason, my grandmother apparently believed that I was going to direct a household full of hundreds of servants. Oh, how I wish she had been more prophetic. Well, I 
realized I had this skill. So I, I taught some classes on it, developed something of a curriculum. And when I entered the professional world, I realized that this was incredibly attractive to a lot of my clients. And it hadn't occurred to me to have that as a specialty previously. I thought it was just something I was going to do for fun occasionally at lifestyle conventions. But not so much. It's it's actually a very common request now, and I really, really enjoy doing it. There's something there's something just incredibly fulfilling about taking someone who may not even know how to hold a teacup properly. Spoiler alert: Do not put your pinky out. I will break it. And teaching them not just how to serve tea, but how to do it gracefully, how to do it beautifully, how to do it unobtrusively, and particularly for those who are sissies at heart and who, who crave that, that femininity, well, one of our cultures, one of the things that associates with femininity is grace and service. So learning a form of graceful service reinforces that beautiful femininity in their heads and it makes them feel more beautiful. It makes them feel more sissified. It makes them feel like exactly the sissy maids they most crave to be. And it certainly doesn't break my heart to be served tea by pretty little sissies in lovely dresses and high heels. I think I think that you should have an event where we have a tea party. I think that would be super fun. I have actually given thought, and it will probably be another year or two before I feel financially comfortable and just generally have enough time, but I've actually considered um, offering to host the Mistress's Tea at DomCon. Um, but the problem is at this point I would have to travel to do it, and I would have to transport all of my antique teaware, and I'm just – I've got to tell you I'm not that brave. I, but why do it? In I am not a, like a special tea party in Atlanta, like the Southern Bell capital of the fucking world, Atlanta. Well, I specifically was thinking of DomCon because every year they host a mistress's tea party, so the oh. the structure is already there, so it's less work for me. I have actually in Atlanta um, and uh, in a couple of other places, I have offered as charity auction items hosting tea parties. In fact, in a completely vanilla sense, I am hosting and serving a tea party for um, a woman's, uh, not exactly for her wedding, but for as a thank you to the friends who helped her put her wedding together, her bridesmaids and a couple of other women. And I'm just, I, I auctioned it off as a charity item for a, an organization, and she won it, and that's what she wanted to do with it. So I've, I'm certainly open to doing it um, in Atlanta. I just, I find it easier to slip into an existing structure for a tea party. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I like doing things at other events, but I'm also like, I've done um, BBW Fan Fest, which was the first adult convention and award show for big girls, um, BBWs in the industry. And I just feel like there's more, 
freedom, although that's on a huge, like, scale. That's way bigger than the tea party that I'm suggesting. Even if you just did it, like, once every couple of, like, a year, like once a year, and it's just something small, I think it would be cool. Because Atlanta, and the reason why I say Atlanta is because, like, like, Atlanta is the Southern Belle capital of the world. Like, when you think Southern Belle, you think Real Housewives of Atlanta. You think Southern Twang, Southern Bells. I think Atlanta. You think Gone with the Wind? Half of that, half of that damn movie was in book were set in Atlanta. Margaret Mitchell's home is in Midtown Atlanta. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, I would love to attend no matter where it's at. Um, so, I, and I think this should be like full on, um, either like Gone with the Wind or some sort of like theme would be awesome. Alice in Wonderland would be awesome. I could come dressed as a bunny rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a cute person in tutu that would fit that um, that entire um, theme perfectly. But um, and and in light of the up and coming Easter, which is only like a month away, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. So I'm all about tea parties. You know where I bet we could. You know what I bet we could do it, and I bet it would be a lot. And uh, would actually, if you've never attended, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's Frolicon. It is a 21 and up version of like Comic Con or Dragon Con, but it is very 21 and up. And, it's and that would be a really f- frolicon, and it would be a fun place to hold a kinky tea party. I think it's too late to do it this year, but I could I talk just, to them about uh, next year. It says um it doesn't say the dates it just says the hotel room block is now open grab your room for 2018 i'm looking for dates um, i believe it's in may this year um they they generally do it over easter weekend uh, the last couple of years they've had to do it over mother's day weekend due to some um some scheduling conflicts with the hotel yeah it says it's um it says the 13 13- Frolicon, May 2018. It doesn't. It says it's in downtown Atlanta. Uh oh, that means I have to come see you. And oh uh, darn, we'll have to go get that Ethiopian. Oh, I'm actually excited, and I love like Mexican food. I'm, I'm so my guy hates that. There are two things that I eat a lot of: burgers mm-hmm. and Mexican food. And there's a, a number of reasons. Mexican food, I'm from California, so obviously I've eaten Mexican food my entire life. And I just absolutely love it. And I'm good at making it. So, you know, those are those are really good reasons. But And then burgers. But he gets so tired. Like I just made um, pico de gallo last night, a second round of pico de gallo. And I accidentally, I have one of those um, sea salt grinders, and the top came off. Ooh. So all the sea salt ended up in and the Pico. So we're trying to eat it oh, last no. night. He's like, you're trying to kill me. You're trying to give me a heart attack. And I'm like, I didn't mean to, I promise. <laughs> but, yeah, he hates it. He's like, he's always making some Mexican food. That's all we eat. And I'm like, eh. I just love it so much. But it's like, so it easy. Good. And it's, yeah. It's it is really easy, easy to throw together, and it's healthy, and it's delicious. And I yeah, no, my alpha got really tired of Mexican food for a while, so I just started going out for it and not not eating it at home as much. Chipotle. But it's been a couple of months. Oh. Time to make more. If you have to pick between Chipotle or Moe's, who do you pick? Chipotle. 
they have uh, their meat is spiced better. Like Moses and bad, and I'm so I'll, I'll go there if I'm I'm in a hurry. But I like the way that Chipotle seasons their meat better. <laughs> you like the meat. <laughs> I you do, like, in fact. You like. Yeah. Do you, Ironically, do you I spent five years as a vegetarian. Oh, you were a vegetarian? I have not ever been a vegan, vegetarian. I am, I'm a big girl. I love being a big girl. I'm very happy with myself. And um, food is my addiction. Like, I've never done drugs. Like, I've smoked weed a few times, but I've never done anything outside of just, you know, a little bit of MJ. Um, but I've not been an alcoholic or, you know, anything like that. I've just been a food addict. Like, I genuinely love food and diets don't work for me because after a couple of days I just become like crazy I've tried like the whole paleo diet and all that kind of stuff and I just I I can't I can't do it I love food um, which is ironic uh, for somebody who I've always struggled with my weight but the opposite direction I have always struggled to keep weight on because the problem is is that I love food which makes it an indulgence. So the minute that I get super stressed out or upset with myself or depressed or whatever, I stop eating because, you know, this thing I love is clearly an indulgence and not, you know, required for my well-being. It's, uh, it's, it's terribly frustrating. Um, I'm working on it, but it's, it's a thing. I'll go all day and realize that, oh, it's 7 o'clock at night and the reason I'm snapping at everyone around me and trying to pick fights with my alpha and being particularly nasty to anybody that I'm talking to is because my blood sugar is probably in the single digits right now. Yeah, I'm diabetic, so I I understand that all too well. My guy will be like, your blood sugar is really low right now, I can tell, or your blood sugar is really high, go check it, or you need to eat, let's let's get you um, something to eat right now. And it's like, oh, man. And I lately have been experiencing – a thing where I get so involved in working that I'll work six, seven, eight hours and realize that I haven't eaten. So now um, my guy will text me every few hours and be like, hey, have you eaten? You need to go eat. And it's like a mental reminder. And it's not because I'm punishing myself or, you know, anything like that. I'm not dieting or whatever. I'm just so involved and engrossed in the things that I'm doing that I really just don't pay attention to the fact that, I haven't eaten, but when I do eat, let me tell you, I'm in there cooking it up, full-on meals. The other day I made honey-glazed barbecued chicken and corn on the cob with uh, dirty dirty rice and red beans. It was freaking delicious. Mm. Mm. See, and I'm the same way. Once, I, once you remind me to eat, like, I'll, I'll pack it away now. I, will, I went most of today without eating, without meaning to. Um, I just got stuff it wasn't a this time it wasn't one of the you know sort of self-flagellation it was just busy and the chance never came up to stop and eat but man when it came time for dinner I took down a 10 ounce ribeye a loaded baked potato macaroni and cheese and a salad and was eyeing the chocolate mousse for dessert but I had to get out of the restaurant in order to talk to you <laughs> <laughs> well thank you I certainly appreciate it and um we're definitely winding down tonight. We talked about kink shaming in the adult industry with a long line of a whole bunch of other things that were certainly interesting. Um, I enjoyed speaking with you. You're a great co-host, by the way. 
And I look forward to meeting you in person. I'm really glad that you found me. I was shocked when you had tweeted me. I was like, oh, who's this? And you offered to be a co-host. I'm like, this is exciting. But that's why I do it, because it gives me a chance to meet and converse with different people that I might not have had the ability or the privilege of doing so outside of these circumstances. So it's been a pleasure. It has been absolutely phenomenal. I am really appreciative of the opportunity, and I definitely um, plan on continuing to follow you on Twitter and continuing the acquaintance, and I'll see if I can drag you to Atlanta and feed you Ethiopian and take you to an amazing um, con. You don't have to drag me to Atlanta. I fucking love Atlanta, and I have family there, so... (laughs) (laughs) And it's not far from my youngins. My my kids live um, in Florida, so... It's definitely. I am in um, Florida right now. I I saw that your picture at Clearwater Beach with your feet in the water. I was super jealous. I'm up in Baltimore, Maryland. Well, if you're freezing your ass off while I'm out here sweating. Yeah, thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm walking around outside right now um, to make sure that I've got some some quiet, a certain amount of privacy, and it's like 73 degrees out here, and I'm walking around in shorts and like a tank top and a really lightweight cardigan. I'm super jealous. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's not that bad. It was like it was like 69, 71, 72 degrees the other day, but it was like one great day. And I didn't go out that day because I've been experiencing like really bad sleep deprivation and insomnia. And um, mm. when I finally got back to sleep, like I'm, I'm back to sleeping, but I think my body is so exhausted from a week of not getting any sleep or very little sleep. So my... Every day I just felt like I was getting a little bit sluggish, more sluggish, and now I feel like my body's playing catch-up. So the day that it was really, really nice, I was still inside working and was just, like, groggy. Like, I wasn't able to experience – like, I knew going outside wasn't going to do me any good because I wasn't going to have the energy to do anything. So I stayed inside, and now I'm I'm disappointed because the cold weather's back, and I'm like, damn, i got to wait till spring. Uh (laughs) Oh, Oh, that sucks. I know. But the springtime is beautiful here. You can walk outside Um, next time. I know. Um, The cherry blossoms are gorgeous out here. There is a beautiful cherry blossom tree. It's only in bloom for like two weeks out of the year, but it'll be in bloom um, in March. So I'm super excited about that. I take pictures there every year, and they're super phenomenal. Super phenomenal. That sounds awesome. Uh, spring has hit Atlanta with all of the pollen that that implies, so, yeah. Yikes. Not a fan. I, I will say one of my favorite things, when, I did, when I've done my trips to Atlanta, one of my favorite things was definitely the aquarium. I wasn't that impressed with the Coca-Cola plant, but I uh, Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of, eh. And I didn't like any of the sodas. Like, I really only liked a couple of the American sodas. Like, the other ones, I was just like, ugh. Um, But I did um, go to Varsity because I heard about their chili cheese dogs and burgers. Yeah, their chili cheese dogs. And I was – it was all right. It wasn't all that it was hyped up to be. But let me tell you, it was definitely a a nightmare. Don't plan on going out afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I didn't get to go to Gladys Knight's um, Chicken and Waffle either because the line was wrapped around the block, so. Yup. 
Well, I'll tell you what, when you come back next, I will take you to some of the lesser-known gyms, like the Chattahoochee Nature Center, um, which is in North Atlanta and is absolutely amazing. Um, our Botanical Gardens is kick-ass, especially in the winter when they do their uh, their holiday lights. Or, awesome. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of really cool stuff within a very close drive. Um, and I don't know if you ride motorcycles or like to drive, but we're about three hours from the Tail of the Dragon, which is... 318 curves in 11 miles. Wow. And it is, it's something else now. I've taken a bike up it and down it, and I can't wait to go back. It's incredible. Well, we'll definitely have to check it out. That concludes our Saturday night edition of Platinum Pussy Radio. You can make sure to check us out every Saturday from 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 10 p.m. And thank you so much for being on my show. I look forward to staying in communication with you. And until next time, you guys, you can check it out on PlatinumPussyRadio.com. Have a good night, everybody.